You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. You know, I have discovered uh, in recent weeks that when you invite back three pastors, one of the most common questions you get is, how are you going to do preaching with three preachers up there in one service? Really four, I guess, up here today in one service. And so our attempt today is going to be to have meditations that each of our special guests will offer meditations around stories from their time and ministry in this place that call to mind the story of God's faithfulness, the people and the places and the ministry where they glimpse God's steadfast love at work in and through the people that are First Presbyterian. Now, I have told them they have five to seven minutes each. They were very skeptical of whether or not they could keep it to five to seven minutes. And I told them there is a word we talk about often, and it is called grace. (laughs) And I have also told them that there is a prize for whoever finishes as close to the five to seven minute mark. And the prize is that they get to get in the buffet line first after worship. (laughs) So we'll see how that all works. But what a joy it is to have this day and to welcome back these former pastors in the life of our church to share God's word once more, God's word of hope, God's word of love, God's word of grace for each and every one of us. Let us begin this time in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of this day and for this time of worship. God, we pray that you would indeed send your spirit, that it would settle near to each of us, that it would alight upon our hearts, and that through its work, O God, the words of each of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts gathered together here would be glorifying and pleasing to you, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture this day comes first from the Psalter, a psalm that speaks to God's faithfulness, to God's steadfast love through the generations. So let us listen first to these verses from the 90th Psalm. The psalmist writes saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, Wherever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you, O Lord, our God, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, the psalmist writes, so that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Let the favor of the Lord, our God, be upon us and prosper for us the work of our hands. O prosper, O God, the work of Of our hands. And then these verses from the book of Ephesians, the second chapter, a book which speaks to the very character of what it means to be a church, what it means to find our common identity in one source and one source alone, that source being Jesus Christ. 
Our theme this week, and as I noted, is rejoicing in our story. Friends, these words from the second chapter of Ephesians are the very source of what it is we rejoice in this day and always. So let us continue listening now to these verses, beginning with the 19th verse of the second chapter of Ephesians. The author writes, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the author writes, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also, you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. At this time, I'd love to invite forward Dr. Todd Jones to offer our first meditation this morning. I want to start by saying thank you to Alan Dyer for his incredible warmth and hospitality and welcome. What a gift to this congregation Alan is, and I rejoice in his call to be your pastor. Thank you, Alan. I'm hoping that doesn't count against my five minutes. (laughs) When I came to this church in my 30s in 1991, We had something called the Coordinating Council. I think now it's called the Officer Coordinating Council. And the first chair of that Coordinating Council was Pat Perrin. And for the next year and a half, Pat very patiently, kindly, and with no small amount of wisdom tried to keep me out of trouble. The next year, Johnny White took that position, Johnny White, who is Lewis and David's older brother. And shortly after coming into that position, he made an appointment to see me. And he said, tell me about your vision for the church. And I started talking. And as we conversed with each other, out of the blue, Johnny said to me, we need to buy the Bobo Funeral Home so we can expand this church. The Bobo Funeral Home, for those of you who don't know, is today called Mobile Meals. It was in a state of disrepair. It was dilapidated, I think that's fair to say. And I didn't say anything to Johnny at the time, but I thought to myself, we need a dilapidated funeral home like we need a hole in the head. That was 1993. Of course, in 1999, we bought the funeral home and it became the home of Mobile Meals. I suppose there are other churches that have done this, but I don't know who or where they are. That is, conduct a major capital campaign and have a remarkably significant portion of it go not to its own life, but to the life of another organization committed to serving the people of the city of Spartanburg. This church has a heart 
as big as God's for this city. There's a beautiful passage in the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. Israel has been sacked, Jerusalem has, and Israel has been taken into exile. And there God speaks a word to Jeremiah and says, seek the welfare of the city where you live, for in its welfare will be your welfare. From day one, First Presbyterian Church of Spartanburg hasn't just existed for itself, but it has sought the welfare of this city, this community. There was a man named Jim Barrett, some of you may remember. He was the president of Spartanburg Methodist at one time, and he ran the county foundation when I was here. When I was struggling with a question of call, I just went to talk to Jim because he knew how to listen and he possessed wisdom. And in the course of our conversation, he said to me, from my vantage point as the head of the Spartanburg County Foundation, almost everything good that has happened in the city of Spartanburg has roots that trace their way back to the people of First Presbyterian Church of Spartanburg. It was, and it always will be, a privilege and a gift to have for a short chapter been your pastor. I love you, and it's a great gift to be back today. Blessings. Let me echo what Todd has said. What a great privilege it is to be back here today and for Alan and the whole team to welcome us. And we are deeply grateful. And our confidence in the future of the church lies in Jesus Christ, but it also lies, as we said earlier, in the strength of leadership here and in your wisdom in calling Alan to be the pastor. We're very hopeful when we talk about hope of the church that God will continue to use you and bless you and the team, the whole team here, both uh, pastors and elders and everybody else who does all kinds of things to make the body of Christ work together. So I want to reflect on God's faithfulness in terms of trips, which are, have been an essential part of the life of the church, whether it's mission trips to the DR or the old, unfortunately not going on, I don't know what else is taking its place, 24-hour bus ride to Reynosa. How many of you have been on the 24-hour <laughs> bus ride? These are the saints of the church. They have a special <laughs> place in God's provision uh, for, for mission trips. But uh, while I was here, we went on a couple of mission trips, one to the Holy Land and one with the choir to, to Scotland. Not all the choir was able to participate, but a good number of the choir were able to participate in that trip. As with most trips, these are fraught with possibilities of things going right and things going wrong. You can plan still things go wrong, and I have probably some apologies to some members of the church for some things that went wrong in, in, in the choir on that particular trip. But uh, you, you do what you can, and then God does what God does in the middle of it. So the choir uh, sang in, I don't know, five or six different locations. 
And whenever they sang, uh, it was as it is always Sunday after Sunday, an enormous blessing lifting us up to the presence of God. So one Sunday on the trip, we were in a church in Glasgow, city of Glasgow. I come from Edinburgh, uh, which is the best city in Scotland. And <laughs> Glasgow needs all the prayers it can get. And, and we were in this church, I think it was called Newland South, which had been in the 60s a thriving congregation. There really weren't many members uh, in the church anymore, so they've got this lovely sanctuary and not a huge number of people there. I don't think we outnumbered them. Maybe there was 100 there, and we had 30 or 40 with the choir. And the choir sang, and it was glorious. And one lady comes up, I think to me, I can't quite remember whether it was me or a group of us, and said wistfully, do you have this music every Sunday? And there was this pause. And it was this sheer disbelief in, and there are hundreds, thousands of churches like this which aren't as they used to be, that such glorious music could be part of a spiritual life every Sunday. And we forget that. We take that for granted. But what you have here in the music that the choir brings, and then when the congregation sings and fills the place with glory, is not usual. And I hope you give thanks to God for that. So that was one incident, which you can't make up. It just happens along the way. But this wistful, do you have this every Sunday? And then we went to the island of Iona, which is off the west coast of Scotland, off another island called Mull. And it's way down, you cross Mull and you go to the south. And I'd hoped that we would be staying in a hotel in a town called Oban, O-B-A-N. Some of you know Oban because it makes a very fine Scotch whiskey. <laughs> and I went to buy some, and I said, do you have any Oban whiskey? And this is a place in D.C. He said, no, we don't. I said, it's O-B-A-N. And he said, oh, you mean Oban. <laughs> I said, no, it's Oban. He said, we won't sell any if I call it Oban. It's Oban to me. So we wanted to stay in Oban, but we couldn't. So oh, this is not going to be any good. So the bus goes down 30 miles out of town, this small road to a place called Port Sonican. Remember Port Sonican? And it's this gorgeous country hotel in the middle of nowhere looking over a loch, a lake called Loch Awe. And we were filled with awe. And we have this 30-mile ride to Mull to get the ferry to Mull. We cross Mull. We get to uh, uh, Iona, and there's an abbey there reconstructed. Christianity came to Scotland in the 600s uh, uh, in that area there. And the choir prepared to sing, and they, they sing. And it's one of those occasions. The choir was singing. I think we had an oboe and a clarinet. I'm looking behind a violin, maybe. And uh, they sang a number of, uh, of Christian pieces, but my shepherd will supply your need, uh, I think Wilberg's arrangement there. And I'm off on the side. And it's one of those holy moments where you feel the presence of God. And I can feel it to this day. So somebody comes up to somebody afterwards, another of these incidents, and she says, I've come quite often to Iona, a Scottish person, to listen to the music. She said, something special happened today. And it did. It did. Now, you can't manufacture these moments. 
What you do in the Christian life is you just do your stuff day after day, and sometimes it's just plodding, and you get on with it, and you just get on with it. And then something happens, and you know that there is a God who knows us and loves us and always will. And those moments from those trips uh, are, for me, marvelous reminders about how God has been faithful here, is faithful, and will be faithful in the days to come. God bless. I, too, want to thank Alan for allowing me to come back and being this pulpit. It's very gracious of you and for being up here with my esteemed colleagues, my esteemed older colleagues, <laughs> my esteemed much older colleagues. It's, it's just incredible to be back here. And rather than just one story, it's a theme that I also want to draw out. It comes from the Apostle Paul. Owe no one anything but to love them. And I think this so typifies this congregation. Now, it typifies many congregations, but as some of you know, like David, I was a math major in college, and there's a principle of certain formulas in which there is a minimum possible output and a maximum possible output. And most congregations focus on the minimum. But here at First Pres, it's always the maximum. And it is incredible. So a few examples. At Wednesdays at first was just a, a remarkable time each week. But there was one in particular. In fact, one in particular, I wasn't even able to be here. But there's a picture of that evening. And it was, in a sense, the farewell of Bill Arthur's ministry here. And that picture is taken from his perspective. And he's up on the stage. And what you can see is all the faces of the congregation and the incredible love and joy that is on your face is just a remarkable thing. A picture I hope, I think maybe it's still on the website somewhere, but it's an incredible one that shows your love for Bill. But it's not only pastors of the church. A few years into my ministry here, one of the amazing long-standing custodians, Bates, was retiring. And you showed the same love for him for all the years of dedicated service they have, everything he did as a gentleman with such expertise and kindness. And the love you had for him was incredible to see. But it wasn't just love that happened within these walls. It was also across the street that you saw children whose lives were taking place in the motels. And so once again, you didn't just do the least that you could, but you did everything that you could. You offered them summer camps and cooking classes, and you helped their parents to find jobs and find permanent homes and change the trajectory of their lives. But it wasn't just people across the street. It wasn't just people within the church, but people across town the poverty initiative that you have dived into head first. I think we had a gathering in which something like 70 different organizations within Spartanburg were represented. And it came together for your passions to make sure every child here in Spartanburg 
thrives and experiences the abundance and the grace and love of God. But of course, the love didn't just stop here in Spartanburg, but it went around the world to the Dominican Republic and Haiti and in Cuba, bringing them school and medicine and friendship. I remember on my visit to Cuba a few times, we met a gentleman named Miguel who didn't have two dollars to rub together, but he was one of the most erudite, well-informed, politically savvy people I have ever met in my life. And he exhibited such love for you all, for what you had done, and he gave me a rock. I still have it in my study. And he found it in his driveway, but it's truly one of my most treasured possessions. When he gave me the rock, you can see that it's a rock that came together of two different pieces, two different kinds of rock. And he said, Tom, you and I and your country and my country are like this rock. We're two different peoples, but because of God's love, we are one. And I think that love comes together most clearly and most pointedly here in this sanctuary, in the baptisms, in the weddings, in the funerals. When I was walking in here the other day, Leanne Holcomb was bringing in the flowers, and she told me that they were for, in memory of Chapman McMeekin. And I remember that service. And I remember Thomas preaching about the angels. And he was talking about all of you, the different ways that you were messengers of God's love to him and his family. And so having these flowers here is just amazing. And then finally, the love that you showed and exemplified for my family in another maximal way. My son Matthew, some of you taught Matthew in school. Some of you helped coach him into college, wrote recommendations for him. I'm so grateful for that love and for Liz, who I think is here today somewhere. The love that you have shown for her and also helping mentor her into her career and profession and loving Liam, her husband. We were so grateful. That was, of course, the hardest thing to going to New York was leaving her behind, but knowing that she has so many friends puts us at peace. So thank you for living out the words of Paul. Owe no one anything but to love them. Amen.